Let's go. 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 Let's Welcome to MBA University. Uh, today is Monday, March. <laughs> wow, every single time. <laughs> I was gonna say this is a, this is the longer streak than Taco Fall wearing jump balls here for you not knowing the date. What is the twenty fifth? Twenty fifth. Yeah. Good gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we start off so well every time. Every time. Give you. A... <laughs> Keep your toes. Um, Next time we're just going to not say the date. We're going to leave it blank and you can fill it in. <laughs> yeah. It's whatever date you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's Monday, March 25th. Uh, so after a full four days of March Madness, uh, we've come together and going to break it down. What we got right, what we missed, uh, what teams are playing, playing well, playing poorly, and who we think are going to move on from the Sweet 16. So we're going to start in the East uh, and go through, I guess, we want to go through the worst, the, the teams that are playing poorly or, or played bad, badly, uh, or do you want to do the good teams? Um, we can start bad, I guess. But first I want to say just publicly that Michael's picks were better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> the ones we disagreed on, he went 2-0, I went 0-2. Um, but <laughs> other than that, overall we did pretty good. Still haven't slept yet, so we're a little loopy, but yeah. <laughs> we'll sleep in, in May, as John Rothstein likes to say. Well, no, we'll sleep in, in, in mid-June. Oh, June, yeah. Jesus, I forgot we're a whole basketball podcast yeah. here. So, And then we got the draft. We came and sleep then. <laughs> yeah, no, it's looking like a small window. <laughs> in... We got, like, mid-August, if we're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, all right. Um. Yeah, so... Uh, let's do with who we think were was not that impressive out of the East so far. Um, so of a team that are still around, um, I guess Duke is a team that I mean they they didn't play poorly against UCF. UCF was just a, a really bad matchup for them, uh, but they're not quite playing to their potential just yet. And I say yet because I think that really turned a switch for them. I think they're going to really turn it up now, but. Uh, in their first two games, North Dakota State really struggled in the first half. Obviously took care of business in the second half. But from what we've seen them uh, play all year, they haven't played up to that uh, or even up to their potential. So I think Duke is in store for a really strong run here, but they haven't played to what they should be playing to as of late, as of the past two games. Yeah, I got to be honest. I think this whole region, I'm not really sure a single team a single good-seeded team has played to their anywhere near their potential. Um, Virginia Tech, I think, played pretty good in their first half against St. Louis. Kind of coasted in the second half, which is to be expected when you're up by 22 against a team that can't score. Um, but then against Liberty, I thought they really struggled. And I thought Liberty would be a tough matchup for them because they're similar to Virginia in the way that they play. And Virginia Tech can struggle with that type of style. Um, so 
I don't. I think honestly, Virginia Tech is playing about as well as I expected, but I think they can play a little bit better still. And then Michigan State was pretty bad against Bradley, uh, and then hammered Minnesota, who's not really that good anyways. So still don't know what to think about them. LSU was dominant for about 20 minutes of basketball in each game that they played their first two games against Yale and Maryland and realistically could have lost both of them. Um, and Duke is really uh, just <laughs> – we're gifted a, a, a Sweet 16 berth and realistically should have lost that game to UCF and, like you said, struggle against North Dakota State. So I think these are four of the better teams and um, – highest potential teams in the tournament, but I'm yet to see any of them impress me with the way that they played so far. Yeah, and I think they've all impressed me in, in spurts. <laughs> the way LSU looked against early against Yale, I think it was at 9 nothing or 11 nothing at one point. Um, the way Duke dominated that second half against North Dakota State, the way Virginia Tech really took it to St. Louis early, and then same with Michigan State against Minnesota. Like, they all have these spurts where they played really well and look like Final Four teams, and then they also have collapses where, like, you're not convinced that they can beat uh, a double-digit seed. So uh, it's been interesting. Uh, but of teams that I think are already eliminated, the team or two teams that I think I'm most disappointed in are Louisville and VCU. Uh, VCU had a tough matchup. Obviously, UCF has a ton of size, not just in Taco Fall, but in their entire lineup. Uh, so that doesn't bode well for a small VCU team. But I just didn't think they, they really brought it uh, energy-wise. or They kind of got hit in the mouth early and never really recovered. So a little disappointed in them. And then Louisville thought they had a good matchup with Minnesota. Thought each matchup Louisville sort of won uh, on paper, but didn't play, didn't really show up, had had spurts where they played well, but uh, were disappointed overall with their play. Yeah, Louisville pretty much stunk it up. I uh, thought that they were the better team, I think, by a decent margin in that game. But I, I'm still mad at ourselves because we talked all year long about how inconsistent Louisville is and how young they are and how tough it's going to be if they ever put the – put the full 40 minutes together but then they went the whole year without putting the full 40 minutes together and we still picked them so <laughs> I don't know who's dumber there us or Louisville but um yeah VCU got really punched in the mouth by UCF early kind of couldn't couldn't come back from that they made a nice run in the second half but never got close enough to really put some fear in UCF um I, I thought Liberty played as good as I expected I was excited to see them uh, control Mississippi State and then hold off a late surge and, and uh, actually went down a little bit and then took the lead back. But um, the team I was disappointed in was Belmont. They played good, but uh, – and I know Maryland's just huge and much bigger than Belmont and caused a lot of problems inside, but Belmont had that game won um, and really gave it away. So I, I thought Belmont had a legit chance to be a Sweet 16 team, and they did not even win a game other than the first four so. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the first time a, a first four team did not go on to win another game. So, also we went four and zero in the first four games, and I thought for sure we were going to lose every single game after that. <laughs> yeah, because I think I've gone zero and four my whole life in the first four games. So yeah, it's never a good luck to go. <laughs> go <four laughs> but we're still we're still floating here. <laughs> uh, but to, to move on to the teams that played well, I think 
Uh, Liberty really played well against Mississippi State. Like you said, they controlled the game, controlled tempo. They gave up 76 points, which is a lot for them. But I think they played really well offensively uh, and could give up that little bit of margin of error uh, on the defensive end. Uh, and they, they played hard the whole time against Virginia Tech. And I never once really saw them get disappointed or gave up. And I, I think they put in a good fight there against a, a very, very good Virginia Tech team that's getting healthy now. So uh, I really like the way Liberty played and then UCF. Uh, I think those two teams really showed how, how much talent they have but how much heart they have. UCF, Aubrey Dawkins was unbelievable against Duke. B.J. Taylor was unbelievable all, both games. I mean, these guys really played really well and really played their role. Colin Smith was all over the place, just playing with energy, playing with his size, athleticism. So I really like the way UCF played. Yeah, I have a soft spot for UCF because Johnny Dawkins is like the reason Duke is what they are right now. And um, just because I also like B.J. Taylor, as I've said a lot, and Aubrey Dawkins is special. And honestly, I have no problem saying UCF was the better team for a full 40 minutes in that game and 110% deserved to win that game and just had a couple bounces not fall their way and just a couple mishaps like the miss alley-oop that led to a Cam Reddish three that entirely changed the game and got Duke right back in it. Um, So Duke, I thought Duke was close to putting them away twice, went up by eight at halftime and then got it up to eight again after a run early in the second half by UCF. Um, And both times UCF responded like it was no problem. That's a team that I think could have beaten almost anyone in the country, if not anyone in the country in that game. Um, So they played amazing. They absolutely deserved to advance, but didn't get any lucky breaks at the end of the game. Um, And honestly, Maryland really impressed me in the second game against LSU, even though they lost. Uh, They, that was a, a pro matchup in the paint between Cavell Bigby Williams and Nas Reed and Bruno Fernando and Jalen Smith. And they kind of canceled each other out, but they all played pretty, pretty well. And Maryland hung in it and fought and fought and fought and was a Tremont Waters heroic play away from advancing to the Sweet 16. So um, they, a team I thought for sure was going to lose the Belmont, ended up almost making the Sweet 16 and shocking a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. They, they played with a lot of fight there. And those titans down low going against each other all game was a ton of fun to watch seeing guys go up and really nearly pop the ball when they get rebounds and uh just the strength that they these guys play with so it was it was a really really good matchup and i think the better team ended up winning but that doesn't take anything away from maryland so and aubrey dawkins is a star and stanford's stupid for not letting him go to that school and firing his dad. That's all I got to say about that in the, in the UCF game. Yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of mistakes made there. But <laughs> well, let's move on to the – Wait, you want to pick the East first? Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. We're going to move on to the oh, Sweet 16. I thought you were going to move on to a different region. My bad. <laughs> Don't worry. I didn't forget. There, there's a reason you're the host. I shouldn't have jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the first game of the night is the Duke game, right? I should've... Nope. Nope. Yep. You're right. <laughs> LSU, Michigan State. You're gonna <laughs> I, be there, buddy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michigan State is gonna be playing LSU the first game. I think it's just seven after o'clock. seven. Yeah. Yep. Um, so a, a very very interesting matchup with 
again the front court and really anytime LSU plays it's always going to be a front court matchup but with Bigby Williams and Nas Reed going against uh, Nick Ward Kenny Goins and really Xavier Tillman Xavier Tillman I think those three are going to be rotating through trying to stop those two guys and then the point guard play is going to be the the matchup to really watch with Trey Waters and Cassius Winston two of the I think top six, top seven point guards in the nation and two guys that are playing really well and really carrying their their teams, controlling the tempo and doing a lot for them, especially in the clutch. So I think those are the matchups to really look out for. Um, but what do you think about this one? Um, yeah, so Trey, Trey, as I mentioned, I think in one of the podcasts, but he struggles against good defensive point guards. Um, and when that's when that happens, LSU struggles. So I think Cassius does enough in this game to bother Trey and make it tough on him. Um, and I think also Cassius's ability to play offense and initiate everything Michigan State does is going to cause Trey to guard a lot, um, which I think will take a little bit away from his offense as well. So with that being said, and the fact that I think Michigan State's bigs are just um, very athletic and experienced and will be able to contain the bigs of LSU and I think Tom Izzo is also a significantly better coach um, than Tony Brentford I think is his last name yeah um, I'm not a big fan of his I think he uh, I think he he was pretty bad in, in the SEC tournament and then I think he his inability to adjust to that zone Maryland went to in the second half nearly cost them that game uh, so I think in this situation where I think they're the more talented team. Uh, I think they have more better players from top to bottom on their roster. I think Michigan State's experience and their guard play and their coaching will get them over the top and get them to the Elite Eight. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate because LSU is such a talented team. And and you've, you've seen now in, I guess, three games, LSU have a lead and collapse and not be able to, like you said, make adjustments do as necessary to to continue beating down on a team. I mean, if you're getting tw- to twenty point leads and letting them slip away, you're do- you're just doing something wrong. You're not you're not paying attention to the game and seeing what's happening and where the advantages are, and because they're constantly changing. So, unfortunately, I think LSU is going to have a decent lead going into halftime, but. Israel is going to put a lot of work into the halftime adjustments, and I don't think LSU will have an answer for them. And this time, they can't overwhelm a team with size or athleticism or talent. Uh, I just think Michigan State is going to pull it out in a very close game. But ultimately, Michigan State is going to have one or two more plays because of Tom Izzo and because of Cassius Winston. So here's the better question. Who are you going to be rooting for? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I'm rooting for LSU, even though I think Duke would have an, I want to say easier time, but I like Duke's chances against Michigan State more than I like their chances against LSU. But I want, really want to see LSU play multiple times. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do like both of these teams. I wish Michigan State was full strength. Um, I wish they had Langford. I yeah, wish they had. That would be a lot better. Um, I wish they had Aaron's. Um, but I think guys like Aaron Henry are really going to step up. Matt McQuaid's going to have to hit shots and use his experience of being in big games. Um, 
to really help out Winston and the bigs. I think guys like Foster Lawyer, if he's playing. Um, what a name that is. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, these, these guys have to be big um, for Michigan State to be LSU because LSU has guys like Javante Smart off the bench, which is going to be really interesting to see how they guard him, if Aaron Henry can uh, really shut him down or at least keep him from going off the way he did in the SEC tournament. Uh, so I, I think it's going to come down to that and just who can make the, the better adjustments. But, yeah, I, I do wish Michigan State was fully healthy to see these two titans of a matchup go against each other. Yeah, and I mean, Henry did a fantastic job on Amir Coffey in their last game against Minnesota. So they have that, and um, Matt McQuaid is an all-defensive team in the Big Ten. So they'll have some wing options to guard guys like Skyler Mays and uh, Javante Smart. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but that's going to be a really good game. There's a lot of talent and a lot of size and athleticism in that one. Oh, yeah. yeah no, it's, it, I'm honestly looking forward to it, I think, a little bit more than, than Duke-Virginia Tech. But that's just me. Yeah, um, we got – well, I mean, I would too if Duke wasn't playing. <laughs> uh, but let's transition into the, the, the later game in Duke-Virginia Tech. Um, what do you like about this matchup? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's a revenge game. Um, I like that Duke lost, honestly, the first time because I think they'll be – when you pair that loss with the scare against UCF, I think they have no reason to not be locked in for a full 40 minutes. Um, Virginia Tech shoots the absolute crap out of the basketball. They have shooters one through five. Um, Blackshear had a dominant game against Duke last time. I think he had 27. Um, played really, really well. Caused a ton of problems. That was a the game they won in Blacksburg without um, – Justin Robinson, which is very special. Yes, Duke didn't have Zion, but um, not having Justin Robinson is just as important, if not more important, for Virginia Tech than Zion is for Duke. Um, and I think, with that being said, I do think Zion for Duke causes a, a pretty big problem for Virginia Tech. He causes problems for everyone, but Virginia Tech plays pretty small. Realistically, they play four guards, um, three, like, undersized guards and then Nikhil Alexander Walker uh and then Blackshear so um Zion's gonna have a mismatch all night long and if he can take advantage of it and stay out of foul trouble I think Duke will be okay as long as they're locked in defensively Uh, but this I think is going to be another dogfight and RJ tends to struggle against teams that are smaller and aggressive defensively like the Houston type of style where they just have a lot of guards that really get up into you um, and that's exactly what Virginia Tech does. So the matchup of Trey Jones and Justin Robinson, um, RJ and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Ahmed Hill and Cam Reddish, I mean, you can go down the list, Bolden and Blackshear. There's a ton of talent on this court for two games. Like, D.C. got very lucky with the teams they got coming, um, and we did too. But uh, I think Duke, simply, honestly, because they lost the first time they played Virginia Tech, I think. Duke gets this win. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate again, uh, Virginia Tech won without Justin Robinson. (laughs) Again, we know Zion wasn't there, but I think it's something that comes out of every analyst's mouth right away is Duke lost without Zion. But 
Also, do you remember what I told you right before that game? Duke was favored by like three and a half, and I said, Justin Robinson's not playing, jump on Duke. Yeah. And then they lost. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I was very confident without Justin Robinson, Duke would have no problems, and they still beat them. Yeah, and that is really important to, to note and to realize is that Justin Robinson is an extremely important player to Virginia Tech. If you think about when Duke lost Tyus Jones, geez, Trey Jones, sorry. Got yeah, don't do that to me. <laughs> well, well, when they lost Trey Jones in the Syracuse game at halftime, uh, you saw what happened to Duke. And Justin Robinson is, is a similar type of player that he really dictates what Virginia Tech does offensively. Um, he's an outstanding defender, so bringing him into this game is just as important as getting Zion back. So I don't think that's a big advantage for Duke getting Zion back because Justin Robinson's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech really flies around and defensively will shut down any driving lane that you think you have because they have that four guard set and Kenny Blackshear really, despite always being on his one toe, um, can move <laughs> like a guard. So they are flying around. Um, and Dukes does tend to struggle with teams that have guards like that. I mean, you saw with UCF, uh, with uh, Aubrey Dawkins and, and B.J. Taylor, those two, those kind of guys are able to defend and really move their feet. Um, Zion probably should have had a charge against B.J. Taylor when he got that and one because these guys can really put, move their feet and get in their way. So Virginia Tech is just a slightly better, well, a, a better UCF, just not with the size, um, and better shooters overall. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Duke can really get out to the shooters, contest their three-point shots, not let them get going early. Uh, and if they're able to do that, which I think they can, because they'll be playing hard right from the tip. So... I, like you, I like Duke in this one, but um, in a very close game, similar to a UCF-type game. Yeah, and the first time they played, um, Alex O'Connell got the start for uh, for Duke, for Zion, and they, for the most part, switched everything. Um, kind of tried to not do that with Blackshear, but it was hard in some situations. Uh, and he got a lot of mismatches, and he just dominated those mismatches, and he really dominated Marquise Bolden, if I'm going to be honest, which I hate saying because I like Keese a lot, but he owned that matchup a hundred times over. And I think that's that matchup's the most important here because um, having Zion now, they can kind of switch off a little easier. Zion is, Zion's a human eraser. Whatever mistake you make, he's able to fix it. Um, if he's in the vicinity, within a hundred yards of it almost, he's able to fix it. So having that uh, is significantly different than having Jack White or Alex O'Connell, who are good defenders, but they can't erase those mistakes that Duke makes. And as we said on this podcast, Duke is not a great defensive team. They're an athletic defensive team with great recovery ability. Um, And that recovery ability is mostly Zion. So now having him back will help them a lot. But my number one pet peeve in this whole entire world, especially with Duke, when you're playing a team full of shooters and you let the shooters make their get an open look and make their first shot. If you looked at the UCF game, Aubrey Dawkins got a wide open three on a curl catch and shoot because Cam Reddish fell asleep a little bit and he hit nothing but net and didn't miss a shot the rest of the game pretty much. No matter what the scenario is, you cannot let a good shooter see the first 
shot uncontested and go in. Yeah, and what worries me about this game is you mentioned a little bit, but the, the fact that Duke really does fall asleep a lot defensively and tries to use their athleticism to make up for it. I thought Zion had a lot of possessions, especially towards the end of the game, where he was just relying on his ability to, to recover. And times that he closed out really poorly and just got attacked, uh, they attacked his top foot or they were shooting before he could get out there. I think he especially has to clean that up. I mean, Cam, I, I would love for him to clean it up, but I don't think it's just going to happen. Um, so I think Zian is someone that, because he plays with such a high motor, has to really clean up his defense, especially playing off ball. I know he loves to go for those steals. Justin Robinson, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, um, Amit uh, Ahmad Hill. I mean, these guys are smart. I mean, Bede, like these guys aren't going to make these dumb passes to the wing where Zian has a full head of steam going to try to steal it. So I think he has to be a lot smarter uh, with that and not give up these lazy closeouts to shooters because these guys can all knock him down. So I think, and I have all the faith in the world for him to do that, but I was just a little worried um, watching him in the UCF game have a lot of poor closeouts. Especially. I will say he, he rolled his left ankle about four minutes into that game, and it was kind of nerve-wracking, so I'm really hoping that's nothing. And he finished the game, didn't, he still dunked once or twice. And if you looked at the one, uh, the alley-oop RJ threw, where it looked like he threw it into the upper deck and Zion came down with it and finished, I think his ankle will be okay. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree. I thought... Honestly, I thought the whole first half sign, I don't want to say he was lazy, but he wasn't himself. And the second half, he uh, turned it on offensively, but defensively, he still wasn't himself. Yeah, so, the, I mean, they really need to be there, um, especially mentally, defensively. Uh, because they're a team that Virginia Tech, if they start to get hot, they're going to hit a few threes in a row, and that can be really demoralizing. So not letting that impact their play uh, or their effort is going to be important. But, yeah, I think we both have Duke slipping by here. And I'm in the building, and I will will them to a victory. I will do everything in my power. <laughs> I will get them to the Minnesota and to the Final Four. If over my dead body, I will. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I can't see them losing in front of you. But <laughs> uh, that, With that being said, last time I was in the building in Washington, D.C., when Duke played in the ACC tournament there, uh, I got there late because of class, which is pathetic in and of itself. But um, I sat down in my seat with like 12 minutes to go in the second half, and Duke was up 15 on Notre Dame. Duke scored two points the rest of the game and <laughs> lost by 12. So that building has very bad taste for me and Duke. Yeah, but I think this one will be different. Um, but Yeah, because you're there. That's what we got to hope for. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we'll move on to the West. So teams that I thought played poorly in the West uh, was Nevada. I thought, <laughs> you, you jerk. <laughs> um, but to be honest, I, I thought this this uh, region played really well. I guess Marquette as well played really poorly. But as a whole, I mean, everyone played really competitive basketball here. Vermont really held in with Florida State. But I, I just thought uh, Nevada just really put up a dud against Florida, a team that 
they play hard, but if you punch them in the mouth early, they tend to back away or get frustrated, and it's it's a much different game. So I, I just think they let that game get away early and never could get really get themselves back in it. But yeah, I mean, Florida or Nevada and, and Marquette, I thought were disappointing in this region. Yeah, I think that lower portion of the sec of the West, um, Nevada, even Florida. I know Florida won the game, but um, they couldn't really put Nevada away, and then they struggled a little bit in the second half and just didn't look great. And then they laid a dud against Michigan. I don't think Michigan looked very good in either game either. Um, so I wasn't crazy about those three teams. But I, and Marquette, we predicted they backed into the tournament as it was. Uh, Marcus Howard didn't look. He looked like himself for about the first three minutes, and then. I don't know what happened, but um, <laughs> Murray State had something for him there in that first round game. Um, but yeah, I think this region I think is full of a lot of guys playing really well. All oh, Syracuse I think didn't play great either. They they were in that game the whole time, and I thought they were the better team. They just couldn't couldn't get it done. I know not having Frank Howard's tough, but I still think they're the better team in that one. And I think they should have won it. Yeah, yeah. No, Syracuse didn't play great. I I don't think Baylor played great either. It was just they that. just made a ton of threes. I think Baylor started out like six for six or five for five or something from three. Yeah, and when when Baylor's shooting well, I mean, they're they're a good team. They're a team that's better than a nine seed, but they just don't always shoot the ball well, and it's hard to predict that. But I thought because Baylor plays typically plays pretty well against his own, um, it's just a good matchup for them. And another team that I thought played really bad was uh, Arizona State against Buffalo. I really didn't have a chance ever in that game. I thought they would play a little bit harder than they did. And I thought they'd have a better game plan, especially coming off of a big win against a good St. John's team. Uh, I was just very disappointed with that, with their play. I mean, Belmont, they came off the same win and played a much better, uh, I think, a much better Maryland team and basically should have won, I think just got tired. So uh, I was disappointed with Arizona State as well. Yeah, and as we said, historically winning that first four game is generally supposed to propel at least one of those teams to a, a nice performance in the, in the big dance, but um, that didn't happen this year. Belmont, like we said, played okay. Um, not their best game. Arizona State played far from their best game, and both teams lost, so that definitely didn't happen. But this region... It's just full of teams playing hot, uh, playing really well right now. A lot of hot teams. I think Gonzaga looks just incredible. Um, they just hammered Fairleigh Dickinson. <laughs> then, like to the point where I started feeling bad. And then Baylor, they let him back in it a little bit in the second half, but at no point in that game did I feel like Baylor even had a shot. Um, so they played great. Florida State hung tough against a good Vermont team, um, pulled away late in the second half, and then just throttled Murray State. Jock came out firing, made like four threes early on. I thought Murray State was going to do it, and then all of a sudden it was a 20-point game and nobody had a shot. Um, and then Texas Tech, same thing. Texas Tech hung tough and, and fought off Northern Kentucky, didn't let them score too much, um, just dominated. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but they got a big white kid on Northern Kentucky that's really good, um, and he just couldn't get anything going. And then they just abused Buffalo, beat them by 20. Buffalo was in the game for maybe five to ten minutes. Um, so I think Gonzaga, Florida State, and Texas Tech are just rolling. Uh, 
and I think it's a complete injustice that they got to play each other eventually. But um, this is a rematch. So last year in the West region, Gonzaga played Florida State in the Sweet 16, and Michigan played Texas A&M. So basically we have the same thing. We just switched our Texas team around. Um, but, yeah, I think these three teams are playing absolutely incredible right now, probably their best basketball of the year. Yeah, it, you can easily argue that these three teams are the hottest teams in, in all of college basketball. And like you said, it sucks that they have to play in the same region. Uh, but with Florida State, just want to send our condolences to Cofer, Phil Cofer, who's lost his father. And I think that's sort of the big reason why Florida State really came together as a team and played really well the, the first two games. Uh, despite Vermont really st- staying with them, I think they still played a very good game. And they really came together for Cooper and played, really dedicated that game for him uh, and took it to Murray State. So Florida State is playing really well as a team right now, not necessarily relying on one guy. Uh, and that could be very dangerous in March because if you have all guys going, you don't have to worry about someone getting hot or if they're getting covered or a game plan that's going against that one player, they have to really count for all five guys on the floor. So I, I like the way Florida State's playing right now. And they played 14 guys against Murray State, and about 12 of them played before it was an actual blowout. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're super deep. And don't rely on one style of offense, which we've, Zach and I have always talked about, to win. Win the big game, you have to be able to play multiple different types of offenses. You can't just rely on a running gun or a three-point shooting. Uh, you have to be able to, to knock down shots, but get to the rim, play fast, play slow, because it's all different types of teams you're going to play against. Um, but unfortunately, Florida State's playing Gonzaga, uh, which we might as well just jump into this. Uh, Gonzaga is just looking extremely, extremely dominant. They have... There are five starters that are scary to go against. I don't think um, many teams in the country have a better starting five. And with the experience that they have, but also some of the youth uh, that comes with that, I think they just have such an overall team. And being able to play from the outside or play from the inside with Rui and Brandon Clark um, to Josh Perkins and Zach Norvell. I really like what Gonzaga is. And I think they have too much for Florida State that they won't be able to... Leonard Hamilton and Florida State won't really have a a game plan to stop these guys. Yeah, Brandon Clark had, what, 34 or 36 or something against Baylor? Something, yeah. Just something freakish. But, um, yeah, I think... The revenge factor for avenging their loss from last year, and I think Gonzaga is just better this year than they were last year. Um, I'm still, I still have questions about Josh Perkins. I still think he's going to struggle a little bit in this game, but I think the bigs of Gonzaga, um, with Brandon Clark and Rui, I think will be too much for Florida State. Uh, I think Kumaji is going to have a really hard time, and they're going to have to play Kevin Gelly more minutes than normal, which honestly I think is a better thing for Florida State because Kevin Gelly's probably their best player, if you ask me. Um, but I think even though the depth of Florida State is insane and they have a ton of, ton of talent, um, I think Gonzaga is just the overall better team, and I think they're just going to be able to pull this one out. They're playing like crazy right now, uh, and I think 
I think this is going to be a great game. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Florida State won it. I just think Gonzaga's a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I do think Gonzaga's a little bit better. Florida State has the capability, has the talent to win this game. But Gonzaga, the way they're playing right now, the talent that they have on their team, the size and length that they have, and they, I don't think they really get bothered with that much length. I think I think Gonzaga wins this one. Um, I will tell you that Rui, um, he needs to pick it up a little bit if they want to win the national championship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Rui has to get close to what Brandon Clark's doing right now for them to, to beat whoever they need to to get to the Final Four and eventually get to the national championship. I think they're on the toughest side, which is unfortunate for them, but they have everything they need to get there. Um, but let's get into uh, Michigan-Texas Tech. I think a tale of two different teams here, how they're playing. Michigan lost that Big Ten championship game, should have had it won. Um, then, I mean, they beat Montana pretty easily, but uh, Montana didn't really have anything that went against what Michigan does does well. They didn't have anything that attacked Michigan's weaknesses and then got to Florida again, a team that limped their way there uh, and then didn't play their best basketball and only scored 64 points against a, a pretty, pretty average Florida defense. So not looking great right now. And then Texas Tech, we've talked about absolutely dominating teams playing really, really well. Jarrett Culver looks like the best player in the nation right now playing on both ends of the floor, and guys are just constantly stepping up for them. So it's an interesting battle. I think every time I say a team's playing poorly, they end up having their best game of their (laughs) career um, the next game. So I'm worried Michigan's going to win this one. But everything I've watched, everything that I've looked at um, since the beginning of the tournament, I had Texas Tech winning this game. So I'm going to stick with that one. Yeah, and this is actually the – best team that Michigan will have played in the last two years of March Madness. Uh, I think previously the best seed was a six seed in Houston, and they should have lost that game. So um, finally they get some real talent. But, yeah, Texas Tech is rolling. Um, like I said, when we talked about it earlier, they they scared the crap out of me when they lost to West Virginia because they had it. Like I, we, I think literally the, like the day they lost to West Virginia, we had talked about how good they were looking and how many points they were scoring and everything, and then they do that. So that's what really held me, held me back a little bit from picking them to be a Final Four team. But they seem to have clicked again, um, and they, Buffalo is a really good team. They can score it and they can defend, and they beat them by twenty and only gave up fifty eight points. That's, I think honestly that might be the most impressive performance maybe outside of Auburn so far um in this in this tournament so Texas Tech is exactly where I think they need to be to win this game Um, but Michigan has more talent than Texas Tech and if they can put together one offensive performance they can win this game so I wouldn't be surprised either way I'm going with Texas Tech and I'm going with the hot hand but this is far from a foregone conclusion Oh, absolutely. I mean, Michigan is really Jordan Poole getting hot and Xavier Simpson running the show offensively from them being easily a Final Four team. They have everything they they need and would ever want uh, to be that contender. They play some of the best defense 
in the country. Um, geez, since Paul George threw it behind the back pass right to the other team. Anyway. Yeah, well, I just watched UCLA's women's coach Millie Rock in the middle of the Maryland freaking locker room because they just beat Maryland in the uh, round of 32. Oh, that's a big upset. Six over three on in College Park. That's the thing I love about women's basketball is when they play the tournament, they have home games. Yeah, the first two rounds are on the higher or better seeds court. I, I never know how to say that. Higher seed or lower seed? <laughs> yeah. It drives me nuts because I think of it like I think you should be considered higher because you're better, but then that doesn't make sense in terms of the numbers. <laughs> it's a true dilemma that we have here. It's really annoying. <laughs> I always just say the better seed. I don't. Even yeah, that's how I'm gonna start going with that one. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. um, Michigan. I mean, if Jordan Poole can play the way he played at certain points in the season, where he's getting to his spots and really knocking down jumpers, and Teske is active offensively, I think he's an incredible defender. But if he's knocking down jump shots, really stretching the floor for them, because they struggle when they get bunched up. Uh, and they don't have the driving lanes for Charles Matthews or Isaiah Livers, who Isaiah Livers had an absolute hammer on somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who that was on. Uh, I think it was Jalen. No, it was Nebhard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was – I love Nebhard, but jeez. <laughs> but if, if they can really open up those driving lanes and then have some, some contributions from guys like Eli Brooks – I think they can be very dangerous, but again, this isn't the time. This isn't the team to try to get your offense going against. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for that that reason, that's that's why I think Texas Tech wins this game. But Listen, if you only score sixty four on Florida and you couldn't figure it out, you're gonna have a hell of a time <laughs> against Texas Tech. Yeah. Uh, so that leads us to Gonzaga Texas Tech, which I really do hope this matchup happens. A lot of good matchups here. Uh, we went through it the first time, so we won't go as in-depth with the personnel-wise. Uh, but the way Gonzaga plays, the way Texas Tech plays, it's just going to be um, butt heads against each other. They Texas Tech relies a lot on their backcourt for offense. Gonzaga's the opposite. Uh, but both teams have great defensive players at all positions. So it's going to be... What superstar can be better? Really, Jared Kohler versus Brandon Clark. And then really, really just has to be that much better than the, than Texas Tech's second best player at that time. So whether that's Moretti, Matt Mooney, uh, if that's Brandon Francis, whoever is playing well for Texas Tech, um, which is why I'm picking Gonzaga, just because I think they have more offensive options. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. I think that both teams are, I think they're very evenly matched, but Gonzaga has more, has uh, a larger variety of ways to score and more people to rely on offensively. So if one or two of the guys isn't going, um, someone else like a Zach Norvell could go off for a 20 point game. Whereas Texas Tech needs Jared Culver to be who he is in order to win this game. Um, and if he struggles at all, they don't have as many reliable options to pick up the slack. So I think Gonzaga just is a little bit better across the board. But if Texas Tech plays to their capability, they're going to give Gonzaga everything they want and more. Yeah, and I think Jared Culver has a top two type of top two pick type of game where he's 
mid to high 20 point scores scoring game really defends well um, but I just think that second option isn't there and they they struggle to get over 65 points and Gonzaga can get there um, and I just have to say this out loud but because I still can't believe it's true I've said it at least a hundred times but Chris Beard lost five of their seven top seven scorers and they're right freaking back in the Sweet 16. I don't understand how that's possible. And honestly, if this Texas Tech team played against last year's, I, might pick, I might pick this year's. <laughs> <laughs> but but they're so much less talented. And, like, I just don't understand how they got here. Transfers will help. <laughs> sure, but come on. Yeah, no, <laughs> Replacing guys like Keenan Evans. Keenan Evans was, I mean, Texas Tech, like, they realize that's a big hole they're losing. They're not going to be able to find a replacement for that. But what they got from Jared Culver this year is far more what they were expecting. And yeah, then, he's still getting better. Every single game he plays is better than the last. Yeah, and then the fact that they're adjusting their offense to revolve around Jared Culver. Because I think the reason they did struggle early was because they didn't have an offense that featured anybody. Uh, it was really more or less trying to get guys open. And now that they have a go-to option, they can run different wrinkles in their plays to get Culver going downhill and then spreading, really spreading the floor with Moretti and Mooney uh, and Tariq Owens, uh, I think uh, really has opened up their offense. But again, I think Gonzaga just has a little bit more uh, to, win that, to win that region. For sure. Um, so we'll go into the Midwest uh, teams that uh, I thought played really poorly. Uh, I hate to say it, but Iowa State uh, didn't. <laughs> you hate to say it. I hate to say it. <laughs> yeah. uh, didn't, didn't look great. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker looked awful all game. <laughs> um, I mean, they really did play a lot better without him out there. And that showed in his minutes. But, uh, I mean, as a team, they just did not look great were inconsistent all game and Iowa State just really pounded it with Caleb Wesson and made them try to defend him any way they could and they just didn't have an answer for him. I mean they played it close but Iowa State if they're playing the way that they can they win that one pretty easily. Yeah and I said well first of all I'll give myself credit because I said they'll either lose in the first round or go to the final four and I got one of those right. And then secondly, I said that uh, I thought Iowa State had enough uh, variety in their bigs with Condit and Jacobson and Lard to give Caleb Weston problems, and damn, was I wrong on that one. So I guess I offset that one. (laughs) Said they'd lose in the first round or go to the final four, but got the other one wrong. So, um, yeah, they they were bad. Ohio State looked pretty good, though, with that being said, so – I will give them credit. I think they won that game more than Iowa State lost that game, so I'll give them credit for that. Um, Kansas looked great in the first round and looked abysmal in the second round. I think it was more so they ran into the hottest shooting team in the history of mankind in that game, but um, I think they 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 really got culture shocked kind of in that second round. And I think Kentucky um, – I think you can argue both ways for Kentucky. I think you can say they have looked good with the circumstances of not having P.J. and defending so well against Wofford. Um, so I think you can say they've played well in that sense, but I think you can also say they haven't been very good. Uh, Offenses struggled quite a bit, and they just don't look themselves without P.J., so that's a little nerve-wracking. 
Um, I think I'm seeing Hall. I think looked okay. That was my pick, and Michael had uh, Wofford, but we uh, unfortunately, I'll say, switched to a zone against the Golden State Warriors, and ended up losing that game after taking the lead in the second half, and somehow lost by almost 20. So that's all I have to say about that one. And I also lost Utah State in this one, <clears throat> where Washington just beat them flat out, beat them. <laughs> Yeah, I think Washington, Washington's one of the teams that I thought was really, really good. Uh, they showed that they, they have a lot of talent with Noel, um, and Matthias Thibault playing outstanding. Dickerson had a good game. But just the way they can defend people, and, like, they can block shots, they can get steals, but what they do is really have a presence defensively. So when, they're dri- when someone's driving or they're shooting – they feel that presence, and that affects their shots. And you really saw that with Utah State. Sam Merrill could never get going. Um, really felt uncomfortable all game long. Uh, and just the way they looked defensively was very impressive, despite uh, some guys being in foul trouble. I thought uh, Washington looked really, really good. And then Auburn is, I think, in both categories, looked absolutely terrible with that second half against New Mexico State. I don't think they actually wanted to win the game. I think they wanted Washington or New Mexico State to win it. It was actually proven that Louisville came out for the second half. It wasn't really <laughs> Auburn. Louisville and Tennessee played for uh, <laughs> Auburn in the second half. but um, And then absolutely dominated Kansas. Really shot the ball well. Everyone looked good. Uh, guys like Okiki, uh, Bruce Brown, Jared Harper. I mean, no one was missing that game, so... Uh, I really liked the way they looked. But other than that, I think everyone was pretty pretty standard on the way they should have played. Yeah, I mean, UNC stunk up the place in the first half against I- Iona and then had a good second half. The uh, ACC one seeds had a hell of a time with their 16 seeds in the first <laughs> half, but they all ended up pulling it out. Um, but, yeah, Auburn, I, I'm, I need people to be cautious with Auburn because – they shot the crap out of the ball, and that's the reason they beat Kansas the way they did. But, man, if they don't shoot it well, are they in trouble? So that's a just be careful on that one. And the last team I think is, is playing lights out is Houston. Um, I was worried about a lot of the three seeds coming into this. Um, I think specifically LSU, uh, Texas Tech, and Houston, I think have plenty of talent, and I love the way they play, and I think they're all really, really good and had a good chance. But they were also coming in and – kind of odd situations LSU obviously not having the coach and taking a tough loss to Florida Texas Tech with a terrible loss to West Virginia and then Houston getting smacked by Cincinnati in the conference championship game so um, I was worried about all three of them but I thought they all had enough talent to get to the final four and they're playing like they were during the season towards the end of the season and all looking really good so um, Houston Kentucky I think is going to be an absolute battle oh yeah that that's the, the matchup that I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, one, because we don't know if P.J. Washington's playing or not, and that's going to be a massive uh, portion to this game. If P.J.'s playing, then uh, I like Kentucky. If P.J.'s not playing, I like Houston. So it really, I think, just comes down to that, plain and simply. I think Ashton Higgins uh, will give Corey Davis a little trouble. So that will require Drew to step up, who Drew, I think, is an unbelievable talent. I think he's a potential lottery pick if he develops next year. He's got great size and vision, can really pass the ball, but if he can develop his shot, 
Uh, he's, he's a scary, scary player. So I think he's going to be really huge for Houston here. Uh, and then, obviously, the bigs just have to hold it down. Uh, I don't expect the Houston big like um, Gresham or, or Brady to have 20 and 10, but they just can't give up a 20 and 10 game to Travis, DJ Montgomery. Um, if PJ plays, they can't give up these huge games. They just have to be really solid defensively. So uh, I think ultimately that game comes down to if BJ's playing and if he's healthy while playing. Uh, he can't just be a ghost of himself. He can't be like Bolden is right now for Duke. He has to be playing the way he played in the SEC um, tournament and SEC conference play. Um, if he's there, then I think Kentucky is clearly the better team. But yeah, Houston's going to give them a heck of a fight, that's for sure. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I really want to pick Houston, but I think PJ, if PJ plays, like you said, Kentucky's the better team. Um, I, I really, really want to pick Houston, but I'm going Kentucky. Uh, I think just like in the Wofford game, they make just enough plays to get it done uh, and just try to hang on as long as they can until they're fully back to normal and healthy. Yeah, and I think this game is going to either come down to overtime or, or, or last. Whoever has a ball last type of game. And it's, I mean, Houston is, sorry, I just keep getting called by the same number. Probably didn't answer. Um, <laughs> uh, Houston, I, I think, has the chance to, to pull off this quote-unquote upset. But I don't think people realize how good Houston is. And I think this is going to be a good stage for them to show off. And I think Corey Davis is absolutely going to be up to the task. Uh, really try to get going early. If he can get his shot going early, I'm taking Houston in this game, but um, we'll see on that. Yeah, I think uh, – I, I just think Kentucky's defense is good enough to force Houston to take enough bad shots to keep it low scoring. And uh, if P.J. doesn't play, that's exactly what Kentucky needs because they cannot get into a shootout with Houston without P.J. So I think their defense is what does it for them here. Uh, and the game I think will be – very similar to the Wofford-Kentucky game, um, but we'll see what happens there. And then North Carolina-Auburn is the other one. Um, I think North Carolina should send a thank you note to Auburn for not having to play Kansas and Kansas City in this game, but uh, at the same time, they might want to send a hate note to Kansas for letting Auburn get so hot and have to play North Carolina next. So um, if Auburn shoots the way they shot against Kansas – telling you right now if they do that for the next whatever four games they're going to win the national title because you don't you can't beat a team that's that hot with every single player on the court uh, and the defense that they can play Um, but I don't think that will continue I think they're going to have a harder time against North Carolina um, because North Carolina can can force the issue offensively and run and gun with Auburn Um, this is going to be a fast-paced hell of a game to watch there's one game I think you should watch this weekend I'd probably say it's this one um, but I think North Carolina just has too many weapons. They have a better defense, and I think they're going to just barely sneak this one out. I will tell you, if Jared Harper can control Kobe White and turn him over a bunch of times, Auburn's going to have every chance to win this game. Um, but I think in the end, North Carolina makes enough plays and Cam Johnson makes enough shots. Yeah, this one, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and admit that I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, there's just too many variables in this game that can impact the outcome. Like, 
with all these other teams that we've covered so far, you, you have it a sense of the type of style that they play. They're pretty consistent on how they're going to play, uh, whereas you have Auburn and UNC that can put up the first half against Iona for UNC or the second half against New Mexico State for Auburn where they look awful. You don't think they can be anybody, and then they, they go ahead and pull off that second half for UNC or they pull off that whole game against Kansas for Auburn. So, for me, I think I like Auburn's players a little bit more. I think Chumo Kiki is the best player on the floor. Uh, Whoa. As far as his his capability, uh, if he can play to his potential, if he's knocking down shots, if he's blocking shots the way he can, um, getting into passing lanes and steals, uh, he can do everything on the floor. So I think the best college player on the floor right now is probably Jared Harper. So I don't, I don't know. I just think I like Auburn's players a little bit better. And I'll pick Auburn in this game, but that is with zero confidence at all. Um, no matter what team I would pick in here, I wouldn't have any confidence in at all um, because I think North Carolina, if they can't get out in transition, they lose by 20 at home to Louisville. And obviously they're going to be able to get out in transition in this game, but that's the way Auburn likes to play. And that's a lot of times how they get in their rhythms is they're taking transition threes. Um, so uh, I think I'm going to pick Auburn in this game. Yeah, I mean, I can see Auburn winning for sure. I think the key to the game is Auburn's defense. Because um, I think their offense comes from their defense a lot. If you watch the Kansas game, they got into Kansas early, forced the issue a little bit, caused a hectic pace, and got Kansas all discombobulated. And then Bryce Brown just was like a – he was a sniper out there that whole first half. And that dude could have made a shot with his eyes closed with the other hand backwards. The way he <laughs> um, if he does that again, I'm telling you, Auburn can win this game, no problem. But uh, I don't know. I just tend to think that – following a game of such great shooting is generally not always, but generally a regression, a regression towards, if not the mean, at least something close to it. So um, I don't think they're going to have that crazy shooting performance, but like I said, if they can play defense and they can just contain Carolina, specifically Kobe white, if Jared Harper can control the matchup with Kobe white, Auburn has every chance in the world to win this game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, and I'm picking Auburn, just like I said, out of their players. Um, but if they don't shoot it well, they look poor. They, they're a poor team. So who knows what, what happens here. I think we're going to be split on this one. Um, I'm gonna, I'll be rooting for Auburn. Does that count? <laughs> I'm going to try to move to 3-0 and when we split. <laughs> oh, please, 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 please. <laughs> I put you in a tough position because if if Auburn wins, I go three and zero against you. But if Auburn loses, UNC wins. So <laughs> yeah, well, where do I sign the paper for you to go three and zero? But yeah, that that brings us to we have Kentucky moving forward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, just to save time and to not go through <laughs> both matchups between North Carolina and Auburn. We'll do this again. <laughs> Yeah, but we I, we think Kentucky gets to the Final Four. Um, 
So we'll go to the south, uh, where I think it was, was absolute chaos, not because of the upsets, but just the amount of blowouts, the amount of teams that played well below what they should have played, um, teams that just didn't show up for the tournament, was pretty disappointing. Cincinnati being one of them. I think, just getting right into it, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Villanova in the second round being another. Wisconsin being one of those. And as much as it pains me to say, Ole Miss was <laughs> awful, awful, awful team. Um, yeah, I mean, Interesting. Those are all teams I picked. <laughs> uh, so Cincinnati was really disappointing because, like I said, they're playing basically at home in Columbus playing against a team that was like 1-7 in, in their last eight, something ridiculous with Iowa. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, a team that hasn't played well uh, and just did not show up for it. Villanova getting pounced by Purdue, giving up 42 points to um, Carson Edwards, which they had all the matchups they needed to guard him and just couldn't do it. Uh, Wisconsin just looking terrible, letting Kenny Wooten get in their heads, really struggled anywhere near the rim if he was in the game. Uh, and then Ole Miss just did nothing right. <laughs> so. I got nothing else to add. <laughs> you nailed all those. <laughs> um, but teams that played well, I mean, Colgate, what a game they played. Yeah, that what's that, Jordan Burns? Jordan right? Burns, yeah. It? Who wow, was, he was he was in fuego. So to uh, talk a little bit about the tweet that I said, texted you that one. Uh, yeah, that guy's not real or something. He's like a fake uh, reporter. Yeah, so that actually didn't happen. Colby did not forget anybody. Um, that was confirmed. made a heck of a story. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, but that was confirmed by the assistant coach um, on Colgate. So nothing. No one was forgotten. Just a, <laughs> Especially not their best player. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jordan Burns, I mean, put his heart and soul into that game. Did everything he could. Tennessee is just a little bit too much in that game. But, I mean, I was super, super impressed with Colgate. And congrats to them for in their first tournament. Typically that what happens with that is uh, you kind of get happier there and settle and get blown out. But Colgate wasn't satisfied satisfied with just getting in. They wanted to put up a fight. They did. So I was really impressed with them. And I've been impressed with Purdue. I mean, Old Dominion's a tough team. And like I said, they have a ton of size, and that's something that doesn't uh, Purdue doesn't play well against. And they were able to battle that one out. Um, and then, like I said, dominated Villanova. So like what I said. Yeah, Pur- Purdue, uh, Old Dominion mucks up the game and – just kind of makes it tough to play against. And Purdue handled it nicely and held them 48 points too and then just throttled Villanova and Carson went crazy. So they've, I think they've been the most impressive team in this region for sure. Um, I think a lot of teams in this region have struggled so far. Like Tennessee hasn't put together a full 40 minutes. They've played two great halves, but um, played two very below average halves as well. Um, I think... Iowa was impressive just to beat Cincinnati and then to come back and fight against Tennessee. They very much impressed me in that game. Uh, but I think Oregon also, I know they didn't play anyone great offensively in Wisconsin and UC Irvine, two 
definitely defensive-minded teams. Um, but they both they held them both to 54 points. That matchup zone just creates so much confusion for these kids. It seems like a lot of the players look like they're taking an exam rather than playing a basketball game and forces them to just think way more than they should be thinking. Um, so that's I'm very interested to see what they do against Virginia and how Virginia solves that uh, matchup zone because that can either be like a 43 to 40 game or Virginia can figure it out and get really hot and and start making a lot of shots and just Oregon's not going to have a chance. But um, I'm not sure what's going to happen in that one yet. I still have to think about that one a little bit more. But I don't think anyone in this region has really played too well outside of Purdue and Oregon. I think that Virginia and Tennessee are definitely the two best teams, but I want to see them put together a full game and a, a, a nice effort uh, for 40 minutes first. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And Oregon's defensively, it all starts with their defense. Uh, something that sparks their offense. And really how they only get going offensively is if they're playing well defensively. If they're not, uh, they're losing some bad games. So uh, that's going to be really important for them, especially against Virginia. Because Virginia, if they're shooting the ball well, uh, Virginia's going to have a lot of problems. Or Oregon's going to have a lot of problems to go against that defense. Because if they're hitting shots, they're taking the ball out of the net. They can't get in transition. They go against that set defense. I don't trust Peyton Pritchard. I don't trust Lewis King. I don't trust any of those guys to to break any of them off the dribble or even use ball movement to break it down. Hey, speaking of which, how good would that trade for Peyton Pritchard to Villanova have been for this postseason? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Well, it would have been perfect because... I would have Villanova in the damn Final Four by now. (laughs) It's funny because Peyton Pritchard's basically had texted us... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just, just joking around when I said Peyton Pritchard is an unathletic, unathletic Grayson Allen. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> um, obviously joking because Peyton Pritchard can really impact the game. I knew that one was coming. But <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's, let's jump into the Virginia-Oregon matchup. So I think... Oh, go ahead. No, you got it. No, you really got it. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm looking at something. All right. Um, so, <laughs> so I think Virginia offensively is obviously significantly better than Wisconsin and UC Irvine. Um, I think Virginia plays a similar style to Wisconsin, but they have, I don't know, at least two pros, maybe three. Um, and I think they... I think DeAndre Hunter has been amazing. I think that's been the absolute sweet spot so far for Virginia. Uh, Kyle Guy and Jerome have kind of been not as good as I thought they would be, and not bad, but just they haven't taken a big step forward for the tournament. And I think DeAndre Hunter's just got uh, R.J. Barrett's killer's kill mode activated here. Um, he's been taking over their games and making tough shot after tough shot and just looks like an absolute problem. So I think he's going to really cause problems for that matchup zone. Um, Kenny Wooten is just an animal inside, and he's going to cause problems for Virginia. But um, Virginia's not a team that's really – they're not going to score many paint points as it is. So um, they get most of their points off driving kicks and, and just threes and their curl actions off their screens on the wing. Uh, so I think Virginia matches up well enough with Oregon that they can be very perimeter-oriented, and if they make enough shots, they'll be fine. Um, 
obviously, if anyone makes enough shots, they'll be fine. But that's Virginia's team. Yeah, put the ball in the hoop more times than the other team, they'll be fine. But I think Virginia's just better and has more talent and more shot-making ability. Uh, I think Oregon's going to struggle a little bit more to score, probably keep the game in the 50s and 60s, and Virginia's going to be able to win it. Yeah, I think Virginia's going to be able to play their game because Oregon's not a team that dictates tempo. It's not really a team that has a style that they like to play consistently or think they know what they want to play. So I think Virginia will be able to dictate the, the tempo. I like Ty Jerome matchup against Peyton Pritchard all day, uh, despite the way Jerome's been playing. I think he has that special uh, vision, that ability to make that pass uh, and make plays while, while having that jump shot in his back pocket. Um, so I think Virginia really slows it down. Oregon never really gets comfortable. Kenny Wooten's brought into hundreds of pick and rolls, um, constantly getting screened. And Tony Bennett's going to make sure that he's not around the rim uh, at all, really all game. So he can't get himself going because when Kenny Wooten's playing with that emotion that he's played in the past two games, he's a a lottery pick. Uh, But a lot of times he can't get to that mode. So I think Virginia's smart and brings him out from away from the rim and uses their ability to shoot the ball to to make Oregon struggle. And to be honest, I don't think this game's close. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just a little concerned with how Virginia handles the matchup zone to begin with, at least. I think they're going to struggle a little bit, and it's going to be like an, I don't know, like an 18-14 to 14 type game with like under four to go in the first half. Both teams will be in like the low 20s, and then someone will figure the other team out and get it going. I just think Virginia's the team that's going to figure it out. Um, but, yeah, so the other game is Purdue-Tennessee. Um, Purdue, obviously, we said, looks great. Tennessee, I think, is the significantly better team, um, but hasn't put a full 40 minutes together yet in this tournament. Uh, so, again, for Purdue, the key is Carson Edwards. If he scores 42, they're going to win. Um, but I think that Tennessee has great guards, specifically defensively, and Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bone, um, I think it's going to be tough because they're not going to put, they don't have the size to cover Carson. Like they're not going to, they're not going to have a six, five guard to cover Carson, but um, they have basically Carson's identical type player and Turner and bone. And I suspect that Turner will be covering him for most of the game. Um, so I think that he'll be able to do enough to bother him. And Jordan bone will be able to kind of offset Carson as well when Turner's not covering him. Uh, and then I think inside with Schofield and, Williams and Kyle Alexander, they're just too good. Um, so I think Tennessee is the better team, and I think their talent will take them over the top. But Purdue plays hella good defense, and they really uh, shoot the three well. So uh, Tennessee's going to have a problem if, if, they don't, if they're not ready to play this game. Yeah, for sure. I think, but can we just talk a little bit how well Lamonte Turner has been playing as of late? Seriously. He's... With braces, nonetheless. <laughs> I mean, he's an absolute dog on defense. Like, he will pick you up all 94 feet, or 90 feet. Uh, just make it miserable for you. And he's going to hand check the heck out of you. And <laughs> this tournament, they haven't been consistently calling it. So he's going to make it really hard to diff- drive against him to put the ball on the floor. 
And when he's tired, Jordan Bone's going to come after you, and he's just the same way. I mean, he's going to get into you. If you start dribbling at half court, you're not getting much further than that. So I think the defensive ability of those two to just be in Carson Edwards all game long and then the front court is just going to absolutely dominate. I think Evan Boudreaux, Matt Harms, I mean, even Eastern, they, these guys don't. I don't think I have a chance against Grant Williams, um, Schofield, and Alexander, uh, even Walker. Uh, these guys are just, my friend tweeted out, they live in the weight room. Uh, and they have the ability to to be skillful offensively, and it's a rare combination in college. So I think it's going to be shocking for Purdue, and I think t- Tennessee handles this one. Yeah, and they both have the clutch gene, which Grant Admiral showed in the first game against Colgate, and Grant showed it in the second game against Iowa. So don't get on the bad side. Don't tie the game. If they can, if Tennessee plays a game where it's tied in the first half, they're going to win by fifteen. If yeah. they're up by twenty, it's going to be an overtime game. <laughs> yeah, they're going to lose. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that that brings us to what we anticipated um, of Virginia Tennessee which is going to be a I, – I really want this one as a, ba- a true, like a, a basketball fan that appreciates defense. Uh, I really want to see this game because it's probably going to be 51-48. Uh, and whoever shoots a little bit better will win. But I think there's really interesting matchups uh, with Grant Williams probably going to be guarded by DeAndre Hunter. I wouldn't imagine – Tony Bennett would be that stupid and not have your best defender guard their best player. Um, but who's going to guard Schofield for them? I think Diakia or Braxton Key be an interesting matchup because they're, they're a little bit slower footed than Admiral Schofield but have the size to, to deal with them. And then the Jack Salt, Kyle Alexander matchup will be interesting. But ultimately I think I think Tennessee has enough in their guard play to outplay Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome to to give them that that slight advantage to win it in close one. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think this is the game Virginia would um, would bench Kai Clark and start Diakite. Uh, I think personally, I think Diakite would have to cover Grant Williams because I don't think the Diakite on Admiral Schofield matchup would go too well for Virginia. I think keeping Diakite relatively close to the hoop with Grant would be better uh, and then have Hunter guard Schofield because they're basically identical body types. Um, But either way, it's going to be a tough matchup for Virginia. I think Tennessee has more and uh, just a higher level of skill with that that roster. Um, But, I mean, Virginia's waiting to break through. Tennessee's waiting to break through as well. I think that would be an incredible matchup. I think both teams would just play as hard as possible and and bring that to like a last possession type game as well. Um, but I think I'm with you. I think Tennessee is just a little bit better and will finally break through to the Final Four. Yeah, uh, I just again I think they have enough in their backcourt because they got bring guy Jordan Bowden off the bench who is. Could start on any team in the country. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's unbelievable. He plays um, a lot of times. Will play at the end of the game, depending on matchups. 
so he's, I mean, they really have six starters. And then even guys like Pons and Walker just give them really good solid minutes. Do you know who their highest rated high school recruit is on that roster? Um, just, just take a guess. I would say Lamonte Turner. Pons. Really? By like a decent margin. <laughs> I mean, he's skillful and all, but. <laughs> he plays the least of all of them. <laughs> I know, right? He's probably their eighth man. Yeah, exactly. That's how good this. That's how good, like, well, this roster is created. It's just insane. Yeah, and Rick Barnes is someone that uh, I've said it before, but when he was at Texas, kind of lost that motivation. It felt like didn't really get after it in recruiting. Had a pretty strong dip, really after Durant left, of getting those big time recruits or at least getting guys that he, he could develop. Uh, but when he got fired and moved to Tennessee, uh, I think that relit it. And has done an incredible job at Tennessee uh, constructing a team. So I think this team really gets it done this year. Yeah, I think they're in the Final Four, and that would leave us with a, a SEC matchup there. And very interesting. What is that, part three or part four? Um, Tennessee, Kentucky, that would be part four, four. Yeah, Tennessee's two and one. Okay, yeah, so that would be fun. <laughs> I'd sign up for that for sure. <laughs> yeah, take that all day long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll leave the final four analysis to to next week. Um, after the probably that'll probably be a live podcast over that one, huh? Yeah, yeah, we'll do that one probably together. Um, yeah, look out for that one. Uh, if Duke loses, we're not doing it together because I'm going to cry myself to sleep <laughs> on Sunday. If we get to Sunday, even. <laughs> yeah. Let's just pray for Duke to win. <laughs> but, but also, before we finish on a more serious note, on the you, you said the Phil Kofer thing, but Florida State has a set up a GoFundMe for his family's uh, medical expenses and their funeral costs. So um, if you want to look at that, I think it's on – if you go to Florida State's basketball Twitter account, they have that there. And I'm sure if you Google searched it somewhere, you could find it. But um, they have some serious medical expenses that they've – accrued over the time because uh, his dad suffered from an illness for quite some time. So uh, if you would, if you have the ability to give to that, I would highly suggest at least looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I echo everything in that. If you have the ability to donate anything, um, that would really help out them. Because um, I know if you were in that situation, you want someone to help out. So um, definitely try to do that for sure. Um, but that wraps up. Uh, the breakdown of sort of what's happened so far and what we expect to happen. And we uh, did pretty good. I got to give, like, I know we missed, basically you threw out the 7, 10, 8, 9 games. We had a hell of a weekend. <laughs> yeah, and being 14 out of 16 for a sweet 16 isn't terrible. Um, so if you listen and to us, you the probably. One we, the one we missed was the biggest upset, and then the other one was a team we didn't think was that good. So, and then they're in the same freaking region. Yeah. So, I mean, if you listen to us, I think you uh, should be doing pretty well in your bracket. Uh, this is where you make your money, though. Got to finish. Got to finish strong. Hopefully we're not a team like LSU or Tennessee <laughs> um, or Louisville. We can really finish the game. So <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're putting together a full 40 minutes here. We're about 20 minutes through. We're going to come out <laughs> strong in the second half. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, be sure to, to listen, share with your friends, and, 
uh, let us know what we do well and what we suck at so we can get better. <laughs> um, Tom Izzo style. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, here's DJ Zenas. <laughs> Get out on the floor, all I wanna know, can we turn this thing out?